With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Welcome to On The Mat. I am Kyle Klingman of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Museum, joined by a man who does much of his best work after midnight. That's Andy Hamilton of TrackWrestling.com. You're burning the midnight oil, Andy, following the European Championships. Hope you're enjoying it. I am enjoying it, Kyle. It's been... Uh... I wish I could, too. That's. It sounds like a, a great tournament, one that uh, I've never had a chance to watch, but... Thanks to track wrestling, people have the opportunity. Well, maybe one of these years, me and you, we, we talked about uh, getting an RV, taking a a tour around the country. Maybe we maybe we just take a tour around the world, Kyle. I don't think we're going to need more than an RV to do that, but uh, maybe we just go on a wrestling tour around the globe some year. What would that trip look like if we just did it domestically? Would What would we want to hit up if we had to make our list of maybe the, the five events that we'd have to hit and make it congruent to what we're doing. Would it be the national collegiate championships? I'd like to maybe add the California high school state wrestling championships on that, that journey that we take in the RV. Any ones that you want to add on there? I don't know. I, I think it would be, you're just talking about five, man. I'm talking about the U S open. I'm talking about uh, all the world team trials. Um, U23 Cadet World Team Trials, Disney Duels. You know, stringing this thing. I'm talking we, that, we, yeah. we, why, why not? I'm talking that too. Why not 52 weeks the on the road? Five. Why not 52 yeah. weeks on the road? Let's get imaginative here. Let's think big. Yeah, well, if we're going to do that, we just got to make sure we have all the equipment with us and have good Wi Fi connections so we can continue to have on the mat, which we enjoy doing. It's a highlight of our week, I know. And it's going to be a highlight having Tim Flynn on the program. He is the new head wrestling coach at West Virginia University. So we'll get a chance to talk to him about why he made the decision to switch from Edinburgh to West Virginia. So that'll be a good conversation. Cleveland State picked up a new head wrestling coach in Josh Moore. So the coaching carousel is continuing. But I think we're both interested, very interested in the new head coach at Arkansas Little Rock. I think we're both fascinated with what's going to happen there. Do you have any inside track or any feelings since we've talked about it? Well, I mean, there's there's a strong Oklahoma State connection there uh, with Greg Hatcher, the guy that's putting a uh, lot of money into 
the program. Uh, so potential uh, ties on that end, I, I would imagine. Um, you know, it's a it, to me a pretty lucrative job right out of the gate. I think, and when you're talking about fully funded nine point nine scholarships, uh, you know, and talking to some Little Rock officials out there in Cleveland when they made the announcement, uh, they're not uh, not really taken in a baseball. Uh, analogy, not really taking a two strike swing at this, trying to put the ball in play. They're trying to hit it out of the park. And, you know, so you're talking top flight facilities, you're talking 9.9 scholarships. I imagine that, uh, you know, there's going to be a budget involved that's going to allow them to compete and um, will be fun to watch the process play out and see who is there at the finish line when they make the hire. And when they make the hire, what the expectations are for the program when you start from scratch, it, I still think that's the fascinating angle is what does it look like? Where does the fan base come from? How do they grow this from the ground level? So we get a chance to watch that firsthand and get to follow that. And I had my first chance to watch firsthand the U.S. Open, which is a big wrestling tournament with everything else that goes with it out in Las Vegas. You had the Western Regional, you had the U.S. Open, you had the UWW Junior Nationals all of that under one roof with, uh, I think I'm missing some, the grappling that had age group level wrestling. It was like we said, it's too much. It's so awesome to have all of that, that you just can't take it all in. So my focus was on the U S open and what transpired there. And Andy, the thing that, that struck me is that when we go back, we have about the same timeline. And when we started following wrestling, I can just go back and remember when Kale Sanderson and Steven Abbas were making world teams and how it blew our minds that you had two college guys that were making world teams. I think they made them an 0-1. Kale didn't go. Stephen Abbas, I think, went with the uh, the 9-11 situation. But now you're having Dayton Fix, who's a true freshman, expected to win because of the ways he's wrestling. Now it was uh, he lost 2-2 on criteria. But a lot of people are saying, I expect Dayton Fix to win. He's a true freshman. That was across the board with a lot of these weight classes you had college guys that just graduated you have current college guys the trend is there and that's something we've talked a lot about andy is just how these guys are so ready right now and you saw it at the u.s open yeah and you haven't even mentioned gable Stevenson, right i mean a high oh, school yeah. senior 18 years old 125 kilos finishing fourth out there you know winning 10-0 against tanner hall going 2-2 with dom bradley uh, the Coon match got away from him a little bit, but uh, you know certainly Gable's going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long, long time at the heavyweight class, both internationally and at the NCAA level. Uh, but uh, to your point, though, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're seeing kids coming out of high school ready to compete with top-level college guys. We're seeing top-level college guys while they're you know times while they still have time left on the clock as far as college eligibility goes that, uh, you know, are contending to win world medals, uh, guys stepping right out of college, you know, obviously Snyder's an, an anomaly, but, uh, you know, during his time in college, three world and Olympic medals, three NCAA titles, you know, Jaden Cox, you know, coming back after winning Olympic bronze and, uh, you know, returning to college that way. Thomas Gilman stepping right out of college, claiming an Olymp or a world silver. Uh, so it, it's crazy how 
wrestling has advanced in this country. And you, you think back to well, probably 10 years ago. I mean, look at uh, when Bill Zadick won his world title at 33-34. It was almost in, in two years after that when Henry Cejudo won the Olympics at 21. That, that was unheard of in the United States at that point. But, uh, uh, you know, it, but we were seeing it happen around the world, right? I mean, Russians were winning the Olympics and the world championships and winning world medals at 18, 19 years old. Sajalayev wins, you know, his first world title as an 18-year-old. Kyle Snyder follows it up the next year at, at 19. So we're, we're seeing, you know, the United States has caught up to that uh, European trend where, you know, guys are ready to compete when they're 18, 19 years old at the highest levels now. And uh, to your point about Dayton, you know, when we get to Rochester, we'll see Spencer Lee in that bracket as well. And it's not going to be a real shocker if one of those two emerges from that tournament. And even if one of those two uh, emerges as our world team senior member at 57 kilos. And, and if that's the case, I think uh, pretty much everybody, you know, following United States wrestling fully expects uh, that guy to go off and, and compete, uh, be in the mix to win a title in Budapest. Hey, we didn't even mention Heidley. Uh, he's a, a freshman in college. I mean, the, the names just continue to, when you think about what happened at the U S open and what you just said there struck me too, Andy, is that, Kyle Snyder, he, he broke through all of these walls. He set the trend. My question would be, did Kyle Snyder break through the walls and allow people to think this, or was the process coming and these people were going to do it, these athletes? I, I'm leaning more toward the process. I think what Kyle Snyder did was unprecedented, but I think that these athletes were getting good really quick, and I think we're just seeing the, uh, the, the fruits of all of that labor early on in our developmental system. I think a little bit of both to answer your question. And, and I think back to uh, Cejudo and, and in a certain sense, I think he laid the, the foundation for this. I think back to a story I wrote last year after the United States won the men's freestyle title in Paris. I had a chance to uh, talk to some of the people that were heavily involved in this. And Terry Brands told me about Doc Bennett's contributions. And so I was curious about that. And I, I got Doc Bennett on the phone and asked him about some of the things that transpired. And, and he told me a story about uh, they were trying to get Henry Cejudo into the training center when he was, I, I think, 16 years old. And there was maybe some resistance to it. And one day, uh, uh, Doc told me he was sitting in the sauna, and in comes Apollo Ono, the uh, star speed skater. You know, Doc got to chatting with Apollo and asked him, you know, how old were you when you first came to the training center? And, and I forget uh, the, the exact age, whether he was 13 or 14 or 15, whatever it was. He was younger at that point than what Cejudo was. And so Doc said, you know, he kind of kind of pressed the issue at this point and said, USOC folks, he said, well, Apollo Ono was coming on board and training out here as a speed skater uh, at the age of 14, 15 uh, years old, why can't Cejudo at 16? And and that kind of got the wheels turning for where Henry Cejudo could come out and stay at the Olympic Training Center while he was still in high school and opened the door for Kyle Snyder to do the same when he uh, bypassed on staying out in Maryland for his senior year in high school, decided to go out to Colorado Springs, spend a year at the training center. I think that that probably accelerated his growth as a wrestler to be out there uh, training on a full-time basis in Colorado Springs rather than uh, going through the senior year of high school wrestling. And, and we're seeing more 
you know, seeing more guys that are going out and spending time out there. It might not be a full year, but Mark Hall went out uh, one one summer and spent some time out there. We're going to see Aaron Brooks out there next season. So uh, some of those walls have been broken down for USA Wrestling, and it's been instrumental in the the uh, jump starting of the age division program, which is really starting to manifest itself in a lot of world and Olympic medals now. I think what you just said, which is really good about how the developmental system is working, you take that and there's just different options on what college kids are doing right now. It's not maybe the traditional system anymore. The idea of four or five years at one institution is is not (laughs) as prevalent as it used to be. Now, of course, the trend is still there. You see these guys saying, but in Austin DeSanto going to the University of Iowa, it seems like there is a little bit of a trend where these guys, if they're not satisfied, they're transferring out. I don't know if you call it program disloyalty. I don't know what you would call it, but it seems like a lot of these top-level guys, if they can't get what they want, they're going to transfer out. And as we talked about the DeSanto situation, uh, how much is that going to help the University of Iowa get to that next level and push Penn State and Ohio State to get a championship that they haven't had since 2010? Well, he's certainly a big gift for the Hawkeyes uh, to plug that 133-pound weight class where Iowa qualified at nine weight classes last year, all but 133. Going to have pretty much everybody back from that team with the exception of Brandon Sorensen and you're plugging in Pat Lugo along with... Jacob Warner is going to be in that lineup. Potentially some some lineup changes as well. You know, Tom Brands kind of cryptic, uh, cryptically tweeted something out about Michael Kemmerer. I'm going to read it to you, Kyle. Hey, Chemdog65, you're looking big and strong. So do we see Michael Kemmerer go up a weight class or two next year? And what, is, uh, what does that look like for the Iowa lineup? But uh, DeSanto, a guy that wrestles a hyper pace and if he can fine tune some things to go with that pace, as hard as he wrestles, you throw in the Iowa conditioning and toughness and you tighten some things up by spending your days rolling around with Spencer Lee, Thomas Gilman, Corey Clark, and others that can really expose maybe some holes in your game that need to be tightened up. I think that uh, it's a super fit for Iowa and Austin DeSanto. And to, to a larger point about uh, what you say about the transfers, yeah, they're more prevalent now than probably ever before. I remember a point in time where coaches were not letting athletes go. feels to me like releases are more prevalent now than, than what they were 15, 20 years ago. I remember some wrestlers back around 2000 through 2005 that were maybe disenchanted with where they were and they were kind of stuck there. And I think one of the things that uh, maybe turned the tide on that was uh, Iowa letting Steve Mako go. I think that that was big. And uh, uh, in in seeing this trend maybe pick up where if if somebody isn't happy where they are, are you going to hold them against their their will there? Or are you going to, you're just going to let them go and and move on with things. But I do think just from from reading the tea leaves uh, about what's going on maybe in some other sports and in NCAA championship or NCAA as a whole, I think that they're going to become a lot more prevalent in the future because one of the things you see, Kyle, is if coaches leave, coaches can are free to kind of come and go as they please. Now, athletes are not. 
it's it's not like you hire a coach in another um you hire a coach to go to another school like he has to sit out a year right he has to, he doesn't have to get a release from his school to be able to coach the next year or he he doesn't have to sit out a year um and I, and I think the NCAA understands maybe that uh you know there's double standard there and and I think what we're we're inching towards is uh, and, and potentially here in the not so distant future, maybe as soon as the 2018 19 school year, we'll see some legislation change on the NCAA front where if you're in good academic standing, you have uh, the right to transfer penalty free. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, what we're seeing now might just be the tip of the iceberg. And it does. What you said there was reminded me a lot of just pro sports and how there's trades being made and, and you don't necessarily see one athlete stay for the duration of a pro career. In fact, it's next to impossible for that to happen anymore. The, uh, the days of, I mean, shoot, you're a big Derek Jeter fan that he stayed with the Yankees. All of that, uh, his career is pretty remarkable. And I know it's a four to five year window with college athletes, but it, it does seem that way that, if you don't get your full opportunities, if someone else comes in and you don't feel like you're going to be the guy and you can wrestle, in some ways, why wouldn't you utilize your, your abilities at another program? So I don't know, necessarily know that there's a, a right answer to this, but because we're in that phase where athletes are as good as they've ever been, especially in wrestling, they want to utilize and maximize their abilities and if they can't do that, they have to sit uh, sit behind someone for a couple of years. They don't want to do it anymore. Like, yeah, I think basically everybody's looking for the best fit for themselves, right? I mean, you think back yeah. to think back to 1969 and Kurt Flood challenging, you know, the opened up free agency in Major League Baseball. How much did that change just sports as a whole? Yeah, good point. I even thought about. It. I didn't even know about that until you said that. That's uh, that's pretty remarkable. I do think that was probably the the impetus for what's happening right now. So pretty fascinating that it's trickling down and, and we're seeing the, the results of that 1969 decision. So pretty fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you know, it's a different world now. I mean, you, you, to your point, you don't see, you know, Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken, you know, guys like that that uh, stay with their team, you know, for their entire career. Those are the, those types are few and far between. And most of the time, Kyle, they're hall of famers, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're players you, you want to keep on your team and that you, you don't want to let go because there will be backlash, whether it's Tom Brady right now in his situation or Derek Jeter, a lot of the, the people we just mentioned, it's, uh, it's something you want to have for legacy. And I think that's really important. And as we talk about the Iowa legacy and what they're doing, uh, where does this, you really put Iowa, you, you broke it down a little bit, but with DeSanto and, and then you have Spencer Lee starting it out. You just have a, a good mix of, of wrestlers coming up for the 2019 season. Hawkeye fans have to feel be pretty good about where they are coming up for this next season. Oh, absolutely. And especially where they finished 2018. And I think back to a show that we did in the fall and, you know, we were talking about Iowa in the preseason rankings about being ranked like 10th, 11th. And and are they going to be in the mix to win a trophy? And, and I felt like they would be if, if they use Spencer. But I also thought it might take, uh, you know, Pat Downey being in that lineup to, to make it happen. And of course, that never that never occurred. But um, 
What you saw with Spencer Lee stepping in that lineup is uh, kind of, you know, like a brush fire almost. It, uh, he ignited things, and, and all of a sudden, he's not the only guy in that lineup scoring bonus points. You had uh, Michael Kemmerer scoring a couple pins at the national tournament, Alex Marinelli scoring a couple pins at the national tournament, Sam Stoll winning the Guerrero. You know, Iowa winds up scoring 30 and a half bonus points at the national tournament, the most that the Hawkeyes had scored since 1997, Gable's final year. And I think, you know, this year really reestablished the type of wrestling that, uh, you know, that they want to they want to see that they want to be about, um, you know, lots of action occurring, high pressure, high pace um, bonus points. Uh, just the, the, the things that uh, maybe had had gotten away from Iowa for a few years uh, after that three-year run of titles. Um, but uh, now you look at the roster and Lee, DeSanto, Max Murin, if he's the guy of 41, or if, if he's not, uh, you still have a pretty good wrestler there. Vince Turk won a couple matches at the NCAA championships by bonus point, you know, bonus point wins. Uh, Carter Happel beat... Uh, Tommy Thorne this year. So you got depth at 141, uh, Pat Lugo 149, whatever they do at 157, if Kemmerer indeed goes up, uh, I think they have some bodies there that are, are capable of competing at a high level. Marinelli at 65, potentially Kemmerer at 74, potentially uh, 84, 97, whether or 84, whether it's Wilkie dropping down. Mitch Bowman won some big matches for him this year, had a couple bonus point wins at the national tournament. We just saw Jacob Warner run through the UWW Junior Tournament, uh, outscoring his opponents 41-0. Looks like an instant contender at 197 pounds. And then Sam Stoll coming back, uh, probably going to be the preseason number one at heavyweight. So... You're looking at a team with a lot of point scoring potential there for 2019. And then uh, you only lose Sam Stoll for 2020 and, and you plug in Tony Cassiope uh, there at heavyweight. So uh, things have uh, turned back around pretty quickly uh, for the Hawkeyes while they sat, uh, you know, they've sat there in the two to five range uh, from 2011 through 2018, but uh, now it feels like they've got some traction and they're certainly going to be back in that title contention again in 2019 and 2020. It's a great lineup. I love hearing that. Uh, the lineup looks solid right now, but really still it's a, it's Penn state show. And as we break down their lineup, they still have four returning NCAA champions coming back into their lineup is we make way too early predictions or just talk about next season. It really is Penn State to win again, isn't it? Well, it looks that way on paper, right? I mean, you, you mentioned the four champs that they, that they have. You know, Jason Nolf, uh, Jason Nolf, Vincenzo Joseph, Mark Hall, Bo Nickel, not to mention uh, their options that they have at 97, uh, Nick Nevels at heavyweight. Uh, whatever they do at 25-33, you've got uh, some blue-chip talent coming in at that weight class. It's going to be young. Be true freshmen probably at those two weight classes for the Nittany Lions, but you're talking about high upside potential there. Uh, Nick Lee at 141 pounds. We'll see what they do at 149. If uh, that's Brady Berge or Jared Verclaren, they're going to have a guy that's capable of uh, being on the stand at 149 as well. So it's a loaded roster there. You have to think that Penn State's going to catch some good fortune on the injury front next year. I mean, you just to lose Suriano at the end of the game, 
2017 and then to lose Nolf for a, a big portion of time and not have him at 100% for the stretch drive in 2018. Granted, he came back and still won the national title. A tremendous story right there. But uh, you have to think that uh, you know injuries are going to play a factor in, in uh, the team you know, not just title race, but also, uh, you know, trophy race and who go, who goes where in the top 10. But, uh, boy, you just think law of percentages that uh, the luck's going to tip back in Penn State's favor from that standpoint. All right, as we close this out and we get on to our guests, let's just talk about the world team trials coming up in the middle of May. This is a an exciting time. I love this tournament. It's a different format with Final X being the end game for individuals qualifying for the world team. But as we look to some of the potential matchups, you mentioned some of them earlier, especially at 57 kilos. I went with kilos this time. You're a pounds Andy, guy, and I hope you're, I am pounds, but I wanted to give you the, the kilos since you, you like to talk in those, but we could go 125 and a half pounds, but what an interesting weight class. I mean, you have Dayton fix, you have, Tony Ramos in the mix right now. He won the, the U.S. Open and still a guy that is a contender. You have Thomas Gilman waiting out, Spencer Lee, just a lot of, of great athletes in there. 125 and a half really excites me. I think that's the weight class that everyone needs to hone in on. If you had to pick one weight class, that's my weight class to get excited about. Uh, that's one of 10 for me in men's freestyle. <laughs> yeah, well, I get it. I, I hear you. They're all good, but yeah, I, I like picking favorites, and that's my favorite weight class to uh, to look at for this upcoming World Team Trial. There's there's a lot of intrigue surrounding 57 kilos because one, you've got a guy that was in the World Finals last year sitting out to Final X and Thomas Gilman. So theoretically, it, it certainly feels like whoever the United States sends to Budapest is going to be in position to win a world medal. You know, be in the title mix as well. Can it be? One of the young bucks. Can it be Spencer Lee? Can it be Dayton Fix? I, I think they're certainly capable. Can Tony Ramos do it? He is going to have to score some more points, I think. He's been hard to beat in the United States. You're looking at a pretty short list of people that have beaten him at 57 kilos. Daniel Dennis and Thomas Gilman, and that's it, right? At 57. So you're going to have to, if you're Tony Ramos and you're you're getting through, you're going to have to go out and score some takedowns. You're going to have to score a few more points. He's really super hard to finish on, and he is certainly clutch when it comes down to the finish line. I mean, that guy closes out matches about as well as uh, is, is anybody in the United States from what uh, what we've seen in tight ones here over the course of uh, the last four years. But I, I do think that uh, the United States is in pretty good shape at that weight class, whoever, whoever emerges. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens at 61 because there are a lot of wild cards there. There are guys that can put up a ton of points. Joe Cologne is a powder keg of point scoring potential. And we saw that out in Vegas, you know, 20 to 13 in the finals against Nation Garrett. I think that those guys have the high octane stuff to go and beat uh, some of the best guys in the world, but uh, they're going to have to tighten things down. You, you know, you just don't see a lot of, you know, 2013 matches at the world level. Um, you know those guys are really stingy and and they make you uh they make you pay for for uh shots that aren't crisp and clean so uh i i'm i'm really intrigued for 61 i think that there're going to be some other um super compelling weights that uh, play themselves out uh from through rochester and and beyond 65 
even. I don't. I can't imagine a lot of people pick Joey McKenna uh, to come through and and be uh, the open winner taking that spot in Final X. But uh, a guy that has a pretty good freestyle resume, U twenty three bronze medalist. But you know the other guys. You know, maybe maybe not so much heavyweight because uh, Adam Coon's wrestling at a really high level. You throw in uh, Olympic champion and Jake Farner coming up uh, as well uh, to challenge Nick Gwizdowski. But, uh, you know, 79 is going to be super fascinating too, Kyle. You got a chance to see Dake uh, Daringer out there in a match that uh, comes down to one call in the closing seconds. But uh, you look at the other weight classes, 70-74, uh, 86, uh, probably 92 as well with Jaden, and certainly 97 with Kyle Snyder, and you got some clear-cut favorites. Hey, I want to go back. Hey, can I borrow powder keg of, I don't know what you said, their powder keg of offense? Powder keg of point scoring potential. Yeah, we need to have that as a as a feature, our powder keg of the week or something. Let's that would do be it. Awesome. I mean, that would be... You're a powder keg of historical information, Kyle Klingman. <laughs> yeah, well, I want that because that's what we need. We want powder kegs. We don't want people going 1-1 one, one and not scoring. We want the Joe Colones and the Nation Garrett's of the world to give us those entertaining matches. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Loved it. Loved it. That was an awesome match. <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that, you, you never want to see it end. We, we had one out there, too, at the Western Regional, Kyle, that was 35-23. A, a freestyle match of 58 that. points. Now, they weren't hitting it like the high-flying stuff like uh, like Nation and Cologne were. It m- might not have been as crisp and clean as those guys, but uh, it was certainly fun to watch. I love you know seeing those freestyle matches where you get 40-plus points on the board. Those are a lot of fun. We are going to bring in Tim Flynn, who was the head wrestling coach at Edinburgh and now is the new head wrestling coach at West Virginia. He was an All-American for Penn State back in the day, 1987, placed seventh. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Great to have you on the show. After 21 seasons at Edinburgh, you make the decision to go to West Virginia. Why the switch at this time in your career? You know, I, I think it was just such a, a great opportunity. Um, you know, timing is everything. So I felt like uh, it was a good time, and certainly West Virginia is just an awesome place. And I think that was the overriding factor is just how wonderful everything is here and the people and the facilities. So, uh, you know, I decided to make the change. When you hear the job is open, how do you pursue it? Do you get your hat in the ring right away, or was there a little bit of process? Did they approach you? How did you get into the fold on this job? Yeah, I mean, I heard, um, probably like everyone else heard, that it was open. And, uh, you know, I, I think I reached out to to the athletic director and sent him an email. So I, I did it pretty quickly. Edinburgh with Bruce Baumgartner being the athletic director, I think he just moved to a different position. Was it a, a good situation? Did you have to have a conversation with him with, on your thoughts before you moved out? Yeah, I mean, Bruce and I have been, you know, obviously uh, we've done camps together. I worked with him when he was the head coach. So, you know, we have a really good relationship. And he, in fact, called the AD on my behalf, you know. Um, so, you know, he, he was wonderful about the whole you know, process. What's it like working with an icon like Bruce Baumgartner? Of course, your friends, as you mentioned, but what's it like to be able to work with someone with that stature? 
you know, the best thing about Bruce is that when you hang around him, you know, day to day, you know, you know, he's, he's so humble and, and such a good guy that it, it's not, uh, you know, you're not hanging out with, you know, the four time Olympic medalist. You're just hanging out with big Bruce. So, you know, it, it was, we had a great working relationship and, uh, and friendship. So, you know, that'll remain, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really, really good time, you know, working with him and for him. What were the challenges at Edinburgh that you faced that maybe other programs might not have as much? I know that you guys have done more with less, but how did you get to that point? What were some of the challenges you had to overcome there? I think a lot of uh, wrestling programs have the same challenges. It's fun to, you know, you have to, you know, instead of raising money for your RTC or club, you're raising money for athletes you know, or for travel or for treadmills. So, you know, um, or for staff, you know, we weren't staffed fully at Edinburgh. We had a part-time second assistant. So we had to raise money, you know, to fund that position, you know, and then where most people are funding for their volunteer position. So it just, you know, it presents some challenges. And then, you know, uh, in the state system, you know, has been, kind of decreasing lately. So that was a little bit of a challenge with some of our budgets, but, um, but you know, there's a lot of advantages to, to, I guess there's good and bad in every, every, uh, you know, position. So we just try to look at the, you know, the positives and, you know, go from there. But, you know, I guess I, when you look at West Virginia, I haven't found the negative yet, so that's a good thing. Well, and I did want to talk about West Virginia and what the the opportunities are there. I think recruiting's a big thing. You're in the Big 12. Is funding the, the main thing there? Is it fully funded for you guys to get to that level you want to? Yeah, I mean, they've provided us everything we need. Um, so, you know, the funding's there, the facilities are there, but you know, I've told everybody, I think the biggest asset that West Virginia has is the people. Um, and that says a lot. We have unbelievable facilities. Um, but the people here are just, it, it makes you feel like you're in a small town. You know, they're all you know, very down to earth and very, you know, helpful. And, and they've been wonderful for, you know, for Cliff Mitchell and I, you know, during the transition. Cliff Moore, you just mentioned, is your assistant coach. He was an NCAA champion for Iowa. What I remember remember about Cliff is that quiet guy didn't say much, and now that he's an assistant coach and has to be in that role, how has he developed as a coach that really bring, brings something and adds something to your program that's really important? Well, he's always brought you know a tremendous work ethic on and off the mat, and I think you know that's what you want out of wrestling is you know, to apply the things that wrestling teaches you, you know, to, to your life. And he's taken that hard work that he put in to become a national champion. And now he, he does it every day, you know, whether it's in the office or, or whatever. So, you know, his work ethic is tremendous. Um, But, you know, how he's grown is he's, you know, he's just getting better and better at what he does, which is coaching, uh, you know, wrestlers and, and trying to get them to be the best they can be. Recruiting is the big thing. You talked about that and just being in that 
epicenter of where recruiting can happen. You're close to Pennsylvania, just a few miles from the border. Is that where you're honing in on? Is it Pennsylvania, the kids you want to be able to get to West Virginia? I think we want to get the best kids in the country to come to West Virginia. And I think we can. Now, you know, that being said, a lot of those kids, you know, just happen to live, you know, an hour or so away. So I think that's just a bonus to where their families can come down and watch them wrestle. Um, you know, they can get home when they want. It's just a really, really good situation. Pennsylvania is that state right now where there are a lot of good kids. For us who haven't been part of that culture, describe the Pennsylvania culture and what that brings. <laughs> well, I don't know about culture, but, you know, certainly the state is just a, it's always been a wrestling state. You know, back when, geez, when I just got out of high school, Pennsylvania wrestling has always been strong. And, and uh, I don't know, it's it's the clubs, it's the junior highs. You know, there's so many, uh, there's a lot of tradition, you know, at a lot of these high schools. And, uh, I think it just keeps getting better and better. You know, it's like every year, every year everyone's like, oh, Pennsylvania's strong. Um and certainly, so we're going to want to stay in, you know, in that state a lot, you know, recruiting. As far as the, the clubs, I think everyone used to focus on the high schools, but now there's great clubs like Young Guns in Pennsylvania. Do you focus on that a lot and try to build relationships with those guys that are in the club systems? Yeah, you always want to have a good relationship with them. Um, I guess you, you always want to have a good relationship with everybody. Um, you know, cause we're representing the university. Um, but yes, I mean, you've got to, you want to try to have these clubs think highly of your program. And, um, you know, if they have a kid that wants to be, you know, a certain major, a certain school, a certain distance, they, you want them, you know, you want whomever to say, wow, you should take a look at, at West Virginia. So, um, Yeah. I mean, you've got to have great relationships with the, with those clubs. Tim, going back to 1997, when, when you take over at Edinburgh, what did you think you were getting into then? What, uh, where did you see that, that job fitting into your career long-term? Was it, uh, uh, did, did you imagine you'd be there 21 years? Did you think uh, this is going to be a short stop and on to somewhere else? Did you think uh, this might be where I retire? You know, when I, I, boy, I, had blinders on then I wasn't, you know, I was just fired up to get going. And, and, uh, but I never, ever thought really, um, I guess when I first got the job there as an assistant, you know, I, had, I didn't figure I'd be there, you know, as long as I was, I was just happy to get into, you know, college coaching, happy. I had an opportunity, you know, and then when I took over as head coach, I think I was just so focused on the job and, you know, I, I truly believed, you know, if we if we got the right kids and did the right things, that we could compete at a high level. Um, I never much thought about other positions. Not many coaches can say they were born in Morocco. You can say that. Why? <laughs> what? What? What led to that? You were born in Morocco, and now you're here. You're here in the U.S. But tell us why. Uh, why that happened? Yeah. Well, my father was in the uh, in the Marine Corps, so he was stationed over over in Morocco and, you know, I, I was only there nine months, but it is kind of a fun recruiting topic, you know, to tell people I was born over, you know, in Africa. So that's kind of fun. 
So you bring that up when you're making your pitch? <laughs> yeah. I have that international experience. Yeah. <laughs> Nine months of it. Yeah. <laughs> How did that lead after that? I mean, if your dad's in the Marine Corps, did you uh, hop around in the United States to different places? We did. You know, we, we lived in, you know, uh, my senior year in high school was in Annapolis, Maryland, but my first two years in high school were uh, out in uh, Southern California, wrestled for Vista High School. So, yeah, we got bounced around a little bit. How, how did that affect you? As far as growing up, um, I think it helps. Uh, you know, it helped me. Just you know, hey, you, you got to go meet new people, and um, and it just helped me too because there was no discussion. Like now, it's, there's always so much discussion with kids, and I'm sure I've been to my kids. But you know, my dad's just like, hey, pack up your stuff. We're leaving. There's no like, well, it's my senior year. Wait a minute. We didn't have those conversations. <laughs> You know, so I think it helps you to just be more outgoing. You got to pick up, meet new people. Um, it makes it tougher, I think. And then you land at Penn State during a, a good era for the program. You were a senior in 1987. You guys got third that year. You placed seventh at 134. Some good guys around you, names that we know, Jim Martin, Ken Chertow. What was Penn State wrestling like in the 1980s? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, we, we had a group of guys that just uh, – you know, they were phenomenal wrestlers. They were, they were, you know, they're good people. They're all highly successful now. So, the, you know, you talked about culture and, and the culture and, you know, the way Rich Lorenzo, what he instilled in all these guys, it must have worked because, like I said, they're all just really highly successful um, and they're doing great. So, you know, it, it was a wonderful time, but, uh, now, hopefully we can build that here at West Virginia. Seems like Rich Lorenzo gets underappreciated as a coach at times. What was he like? What was his personality like? What did he bring to the program? Well, he was like a father figure, you know, and again, I guess it always depends on, one, your personality, and two, what, you're, what you need or are looking for and your age. But for me, he was, a, you know, a little bit like a father figure, and um, I needed it. I was very young, um, not a real old senior. I think I, I might've just turned 18 when I got there, um, right before I got there, but you know, so he, he provided that role, but, um, he was tough, you know, he's a, he's a tough guy. So, you know, he instilled toughness, but more importantly, just, you know, taught us to do the right thing and, um, do things the right way. And, uh, I was fortunate, you know, I had him and then I moved on and my first experience in coaching outside of, Penn State was, you know, with Bruce. So I was really, really lucky to have two people of like real solid character, you know, as my mentors. You wrestle at Penn State pre Big Ten era. Now that you've seen all of this transpire, isn't it crazy how far we've come as far as coverage and all of the great things that the Big Ten network has? It's just pretty remarkable all you've seen up to this point. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't look backwards too often, especially right now or with Swamp here, but um, yeah, it is crazy. You know, a couple of years ago at the NCAA tournament, you know, you're walking around underneath the, you know, the stands and, you know, there's these ESPN trucks and there's cables everywhere. And it's just, you're just like, wow, you know, really wrestling is, you know, is, is, you know, getting bigger and bigger. And, um, 
so we we really have come a long way. What do you think these kids want? What do these recruits want out of a college experience? Um, I think every kid wants a little something different, you know, but in general they they want to be you know they they want to do uh, um, they want to do what what makes them happy, which is wrestle, get an education. Um, they want to, they want to hit their goals. You know, all of them come in with slightly different goals, but they want to meet their goals. But, um, uh, certainly they want to be the best wrestler they can be and, and get a college education. And, you know, that's kind of what we're, we're selling down here at West Virginia. Are they enamored with the bells and whistles? Do they need the big wrestling room? You know, some kids do. Um, it's certainly nice to, the, uh, you know, obviously you can win anywhere. There's people overseas that win training in, in, uh, you know, I guess less than stellar facilities, but it's nice, you know, when you have a big room and, you know, you have plenty of space and you've got the extras. I think it, it makes it easier. Keeping guys, you're in a transition phase. We've already seen that Zeke Moisey is out of the program transferring to Nebraska. What what does that do? How did that transpire with Zeke leaving the program? Um, Zeke came in and wanted to speak, um, and I said, "Sure, I, you know, I, we want people who want to be at West Virginia." And you know, he felt you know it was in his best interest to go elsewhere. We had a good conversation. I shook his hand, and you know, and no hard feelings. You know, we just got here, so and and we're trying to get the ship going in the direction that we want it to go in. So, uh, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't have any hard feelings and, uh, wish them well. So, you know, we'll move forward and go to war with the guys we have. Tim, you're, you're two weeks onto the job now. What, what do the first two weeks look like for a coach in a new position when you're, you're having to, uh, you know, move and, and all the things that go into that, uh, what have the last couple of weeks looked like for you? Um, I guess I can sum it up. I've just been on the phone like nonstop, <laughs> you know, whether it's, uh, you know, talking about the decision to leave, you know, talking about West Virginia and all the great things here, you know, talking to kids on the team, trying to get some, you know, last minute recruits, um, just really been on the phone a lot and, you know, trying to, like you said, we've got to get moved or I'm in a hotel room there's so much going on. So, but it's really exciting, you know, so especially for someone that's been somewhere for, you know, as long as I was, I was at Edinburgh since 92, like 26 years. So for me, it's all new and exciting. So, you know, kind of makes you feel young again. Was your wife on board with the move? Yes, she was. She, she actually, um, she's been really supportive and, uh, and really, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, nudging me. You know, I was a little bit of, you know, you get comfortable somewhere. Um, but this one, th- this position just felt different than even when I considered others. Um, or, you know, you look at a position someone gets, you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. But this one, this this position felt right from the beginning. So, but, yeah, she's been real supportive, and she's she's all in. She's a Mountaineer fan now. 2015, you guys had a really good NCAA championship. You guys placed third, 75 and a half points, only uh, about, what, nine, eight and a half points behind the University of Iowa. How'd you get to that level? I know a lot of people were really raving about that NCAA championship that you had. What went into 
making that happen and what uh, what pieces came together for you to have a trophy at that ch- championship run? Well, I think it's the same for anyone who has a, a decent team. You've got, you know, you've got to have good kids that um, buy into what you're doing. And, and uh, that team, you know, was special. We had a couple of special teams, really, you know, when I was at Edinburgh. But um, it, it's just the kids – it's so much easier when the kids are self-motivated, they're coming in on their own and you, you just, they're focused on wrestling. You know, there was, you're not worried about them going to class or doing the right things. You can just deal with the wrestling aspect of it, you know, and, and uh, how it came about too, is we had a couple of really good guys and they were, you know, like AJ shop was pinning people and in the wrestlebacks. Uh, Mitchell had a, you know, a couple pins or, majors or whatever we scored you know a lot of bonus points too so that certainly helped all right who's the greatest wrestler you coached at edinburgh <laughs> wow that, that's a tough one um man uh you know obviously the guys who won or the finalists were all tremendous but um they all had different attributes you know like koshtek was just so tough um, and if I don't say Koshchek, I feel probably beat me up. So, <laughs> you know, his toughness, you know, and Jared King was, you know, was a, you know, superior athlete and, you know, Gregor Gillespie too. What a, what a tremendous athlete, you know, just fast twitch and, and really some of the guys, you know, fell a little bit short, you know, the honey cuts, the ports, um, you know, people like that. It's just hard, you know, David Habit. Um, we had, I was fortunate to have a lot of really good athletes there. So I wouldn't want to choose and get anyone mad at me. Well, don't choose, but just fill us in on maybe a personality like a honeycut who you just mentioned. That guy was a, a unique guy there, had that uh, MMA type of personality. What was he like to have in the room on a daily basis? Honeycut was awesome. You know, he's a fun kid. He, he's a, uh, yeah, he, he, I don't know. I just really enjoyed Chris and, um, he he does. He's he's um he's not like um like Koshchek. You kind of knew like MMA. You're like yeah, this this fits. Like it wasn't like Chris is uh, on edge all the time like that. Or you know he's he's kind of happy and um we really enjoyed you know Chris. So that, that was a lot of fun with him. How do you work with personalities that uh, maybe aren't yours? But how do you kind of work with? diverse personalities, which you certainly had at Edinburgh. You know, I, I just enjoy, you know, everybody's not the same. And, you know, I, I think once you figure that out, it, it's kind of fun. And I, I don't think we want everybody to be the exact same person. You know, it'd be pretty boring. So I just try to enjoy them. You know, I'm a parent. I think that helped me. Um, years ago when I had my kids, it, it kind of, makes you look at kids differently. Like this is someone's son. You got to take care of them. Not that we didn't beforehand, but you just really have a different view on people when you have your own kids, you know, and I think that helped a lot too. So with a guy like Gregor Gillespie, who's really good on top, maybe that wasn't your style, but how do you teach that? How do you add something to his arsenal that he may or may not have? I think with Gregor, you know, we, we had to make sure that, you know, you're on point with your, with your weight and, and your training and your preparation on a, on a daily basis. And it's kind of, it's, it's been real fun to watch his evolution because now he is, 
one of the most dedicated athletes in the world, just with his training, his nutrition. And it wasn't always like that, you know. I think he won a little more with natural ability. Not that he didn't work hard, but now it's just through the roof. Um, But I think you just try to add different things. Like, he just always was so athletic that, you know, we didn't have to work on any of that. You know, it was more of the other stuff to make sure he was ready to go. How did he get so good on top? He came in pretty darn good on top. So (laughs) I'd love to take credit for that. But, um, yeah, he was, he was a handful on top in high school. And, you know, he flew a little under the radar, and it just happened that he was at the same weight as uh, Metcalf and Slater. So in high school, you know, I think at the high school nationals, he was maybe third. But it was just everybody talked about those other two guys. So just a little bit under the radar because of that, and they were so accomplished. Switching over to the West Virginia side, you've had a few NSA champions and some really good guys come through the program. Scott Collins, Greg Jones, Virtus Jones made the finals a couple times. Dean Morrison, do you reach out to those guys and get them engaged in your program? Yeah, we will. Um, you know, I've uh, I've texted with Greg a little bit. Um, I got to get a hold of Virtus. Obviously, Virtus is a um, high school coach up in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I've been on the phone a little bit with Jimmy Akerley and, you know, some of the, you know, former athletes. So, um, yeah, you do. You reach out. I want them engaged. I want them uh, a part of the program. I want them proud of the program, you know. So, you know, I hope that, you know, here in the next month or so, we're going to try to get an alumni get-together and try to see some of these guys. But, um, yeah, I, we do have to reach out to them, and they do have to be involved. Tim, when you, you come in from the outside, you come in from a, a, another program after a coach has been let go, what what are those initial conversations like with the roster you inherit? How, how do you approach that? You know, I, I don't think it has to be uncomfortable. You know, it's uh, there, every, every coach has a lot of positive and, you know, and I'm not without fault. So I, I just tell the kids, you know, to be the best you can be, take whatever you've learned from any coach you've had you know, take all that and then try to wring some, something out of myself and Cliff and Mitch and, you know, become the best you can be, you know, and we just try to tell them that we're, we're here to help, you know, you're, you're trying to win a national championship and you're trying to get an education and we are support staff. We're, we're helping. And uh, I think once they figure out that you care, you know, things kind of, uh, you know, go a lot smoother. Have you thought about what it's going to be like being in the Big 12 with the Oklahoma States and the Iowa States and the uh, Oklahomas, all those great programs? No, I, you know, we're just so focused on what, trying to, you know, get things done here, get on recruits. I, you know, I can't worry about other programs. I, we're, you know, uh, we're knee-deep in a lot of work here, and, and uh, we'll worry about that, you know, down the road. Where are you with your program now that you've inherited it? You've been there two weeks. Where would you say you are right now as far as uh, where you want to be, but where are you right now? Well, I always, you know, um, I always look at where you finished and and it wasn't in the top 20, you know, and, and so we're from the, we're in the, where are we now? We're, we're on the outside, you know, looking in and we want to be on the inside. So, 
Um, we're not where we want to be. Um, we have some good young guys in the room, though. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, if we, if we work hard with the guys we have and recruit well, I think we'll do really well. Tim, we like to play games on this show. We have a series of three games. We've chosen for you a game we call True or False. I'm going to give you five statements. You tell me true or false on the statement. You can elaborate on your answer. In fact, we encourage it. Tim, are you ready to play a game of true or false? Sure. All right. Number one, true or false, West Virginia will win a trophy at the NCAA Championships by 2024. True. And why do you think that is? Well, that's not a true-false question. <laughs> well, no, I know it's not. We asked you to elaborate, though, Tim. Um, because we, we're going to work our tails off to make it happen. All right, that's we'll give you that. True or false, stalling is the primary culprit for, culprit for inactivity in college wrestling. Um, yeah, geez, I don't know. False. I'd actually agree with that. I don't think it's the primary culprit. True or false, as a Nittany Lion alumnus, you are proud that Penn State has built a wrestling dynasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I, proud, that's a... <laughs> proud, I guess, true. Happy false. Okay. You know, um, I, I coach at a different school, so people are listening. All my friends always ask me, like, hey, we're doing great. Isn't that great? I'm like, you know, guys, I, no offense, I really don't care. I care about one team. <laughs> right now, I care about, you know, West Virginia. Okay. True or false, Tim Flynn has looked at his wedding pictures at least once in the past five years. Um, true. I just... Well, not our wedding, but my wife is in a picture that I had to put out on my desk here at West Virginia, so that's true. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that definitely counts. And the final one, the Josh Koscheck we see in the octagon is an accurate portrayal of the Josh Koscheck you know as a person. True. That's not an act. <laughs> that's who he is? Yeah, he, he's a, I'll tell you what. If he's on your side, he's awesome, and he's. It is a lot of it's playful, you know. And you know, looking back at the show that he was on, The Ultimate Fighter, and um, yeah, he's he's a he's a character. All right, we appreciate you playing that game with us. We appreciate you being on our program. It's going to be fun to see how West Virginia continues the upward climb toward the top. Thanks for joining us on On the Mat. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Tim Flynn. For Andy Hamilton of TrackWrestling.com, I'm Kyle Klingman. You've been listening to On The Mat. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.